Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, all safely back from Spain now, so no Chris Packham-style outside sound effects, Kieran. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, uh, I've got to say, uh, I had a wonderful time there. Uh, the Rangers fans I met were, were all fantastic. Uh, I've got to say... Big boo to UEFA, the way that the fans were treated and herded at the stadium. Uh, I was talking to some of the lads uh, on, on Thursday after the match and, and, and heard a few horror stories. So, um, you know, as well as having to go and pay top dollar to go and watch the match, uh, people weren't giving access to water. They were, you know, they were kept in for too long, uh, and, and it was ridiculously hot. Uh, so, so yeah, and, and, and from UEFA, it was sort of well, we are, we were we were busy. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah it's a <laughs> it, it, it's a final. Uh, if, if, you, if you're going to ch- if you're going to charge a premium price for a product, then then treat people with a bit more decency. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll be coming on to treating fans with decency later on, Kieran. I suspect as it happens, but mm. uh, it was a fantastic game. Rangers played, I think, better than anybody expected. But I suspect UEFA. <laughs> Probably men of a certain age who thought, oh, these two clubs in the 70s had mm. a reputation for trouble, so we better keep them apart. It looked hot from where I was watching it. You know, I don't like the heat, Kieran. <laughs> I was, but, yes. um, I'm, I'm afraid, Kieran, we can't move on without mentioning that somebody got told off after the last pod, didn't they, in Spain? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was too, too much, too much birdsong. Yeah, producer guy really is quite picky at times, isn't he? Uh, But thank you as well to those people who, as I predicted, uh, tweeted in. uh, And I think if you're going to do anything about birdsong, you should tweet. Uh, (laughs) Tweeted in to tell me they weren't sparrows. They aren't any sparrows, apparently, in Andalusia. But uh, my response is I'm from South London, so every bird's a sparrow as far as I'm concerned. It's questions day, Kieran, but we have two... Big news story, one domestic and one foreign, for want of a better word. <laughs> uh, and the first one, Leeds and Burnley are threatening legal action over Everton's finances. So we are recording this on Sunday morning. We don't know which of Leeds and Burnley are staying up. Our more cynical listeners may suggest that whichever one does stay up may take the legal action less seriously. But at the moment, this is a big issue, Kira, isn't it? Uh, it is, uh, and, and first of all, I would say if you, if you want to get the real detail in terms of the numbers, our very good friend Swiss Ramble has put up an absolutely yeah. fantastic thread on this. Um, what's happened is uh, Everton have published losses of three hundred and seventy-two million pounds over the course of the last three years. Now, the the Premier League has said that you can you can tweak those and, and you take the average of the last two years into account. So, uh, from a from a, a profitability and sustainability point of view, it, it looks like we're, we're kicking off with a figure of two hundred and fifty-five million, um, but you're only allowed to lose one hundred and five mm. over over the requisite period. Um, and then Everton have said, "Oh, well, yeah, but uh, by the time you take into con- consideration COVID, uh, we are within the allowed limit of one hundred and five million. So, so yeah, that's that's a, that's a pretty big discount." Mm. Um, and they've they've also said, and they've got this up on their website, that COVID cost the club one hundred and seventy million pounds. And you go, well, that's that's a lot. I mean, okay, let, let's think about how COVID would have impacted upon a football club. First of all, you've got lower revenues. Well, well Everton normally make around about fourteen to fifteen million pounds a year from from ticket sales. So you do that over a quarter and a se- season and a quarter. You're talking perhaps twenty million quid. Uh, of revenue that they've got the bit of the tv rebate yes you've got some additional costs through social distancing through health tests uh, taking place you to get them covid tested on a regular basis but um that uh, that 
doesn't come to 170. And then, then we've seen uh, a lot of other clubs, you know, Villa, West Ham, Brighton, Leicester, Newcastle, Arsenal, you know, lots of other clubs have come out and they have put in, in, in varying amounts of detail the, the costs of COVID. Uh, but in the, in the main, they've been in the, the ballpark of, say, 40 to 55 million. Yeah. And then Everton say uh, 170. And you're going, well, well, hold on. Yeah, as far as, as far as I'm aware, there wasn't there wasn't an L4 variant which impacted <laughs> uh, upon Everton to a greater extent than other football clubs. And they said, "Oh well, yeah, yeah, but the the transfer market was depressed, and we've been hit hard by that." And you think, well, yeah, Everton have signed a load of players, but yeah, I'm not being rude. They've so signed a load of crap players for yeah. big fees, and to go and and to say that they've not been able to sell them. Due to COVID, uh, I think is harsh. You know, the reason why Czech Tosin has not been sold for forty million pounds is nothing to do with COVID. It's it's to do with you know perhaps they've not made uh, great decisions in terms of recruitment. So um, Leeds and Burnley will have taken legal advice, uh, and I have uh, I have good understanding that uh, had uh, had had Watford or Norwich, for example. Uh, been in that you know that third yeah. relegation spot, I, I suspect that they might have been uh, doing very similar. Um, so, so do we have any precedent for this in terms of uh, what is perceived by the aggrieved party? Yeah, we're, we're not lawyers. Yeah, um, but it's perceived by the aggrieved party to have suffered loss uh, following uh, relegation or, or loss of promotion due to some form of misdemeanor. Um, well, if we, if we go back to the, the legendary Carlos, Te- Carlos Tevez case yep. in West Ham, yep. they ended up giving Sheffield United around about 20 million pounds in compensation. Now that was sort of mid 2000s. So, you know, since then the, the numbers have increased substantially. Uh, so, so yeah, we, we could be talking large sums of money here. Remember, we've also got the the dispute between Middlesbrough and Derby, yeah. which has been settled now by the two owners, uh, and, and it looks as if uh, Derby or rather Mel Morris is going to give some form of financial uh, compensation. And there's an outstanding claim from Wickham Wanderers with regards to getting relegated last season, uh, and uh, you know, the way that Derby County had uh, presented their account. So, so th- there is history, there is precedent for this. Um, we await developments. Uh, you know, e- Everton, you know, are not going to get relegated. Uh, yeah, we, we know that for certain, um, and and therefore it's going to be one of Leeds or Burnley. Um, they they will have taken legal advice. Everton are saying, well, the hundred and seventy million pounds uh, COVID loss is is what we've been advised by our auditors. Mm. So, um, what's going to happen? Well, the lawyers are going to get rich. And what's your instinct as to how it will play out, Kieran? I, I think we will perhaps have um, the the Premier League pressurised to 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 do something or say something, and, and at present they're 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 being very silent. And, and this is where I think the Premier League doesn't help itself. Um, it, it, I think it should be it should, should be more uh, open uh, in terms of, of where we stand with regards to this. Um, Everton will push back because that's what they will be advised to do, and I suspect we could have some form of out of court settlement if uh, if uh, if the figures are are investigated with uh, forensic detail. Do you know what, Kieran? <clears throat> I wasn't going to say this because I don't want to be the one told off by producer guy because he keeps telling us this is a, a football pod, uh, a football finance pod, not a football pod, and that we should be impartial. But the way I feel about Everton. At the moment, I'm I'm on the side of Leeds and Burnley, to be perfectly honest, because uh, I've got friends who are Everton fans. People who listen to this pod will know that we both admire Everton as a football club. But what happened on Thursday night and what was allowed to happen to Palace players was just despicable. And anybody who knows anything about football would have predicted that at some stage during that game. Everton fans would have been on the pitch. The atmosphere at half-time was, was just so hostile. It's febrile. The Everton Football Club, the Merseyside Police, the referee, Anthony Taylor, did nothing to ensure the safety of Palace players. Nothing. It was, and after the first pitch invasion, Palace coaching staff specifically expressed their concerns to the ref, and he ignored them. 
just as he ignored it when Michael Olise was hit by a bottle in the third round of the FA Cup at Millwall. And I, I'm assuming, Kieran, that the silence from Palace, Everton, the FA and the Premier League indicates that there's an investigation going on. But if not, Palace fans won't let this go away. We're already discussing ways to make sure this isn't swept under the carpet. And, and yes, angry Everton fans will treat me and say it was just a small number of us. Yeah? And you know it's emotional. And yes, there are some dickhead Palace fans out there. And I know that I've excused football fans in the past because in the past we were treated like cattle. So it's no wonder we reacted. But we're not anymore. And, and low-rent psychologists in tabloids going, well, this is this is pent-up COVID anxiety or, or this is just nonsense. These are dickheads being dickheads. And it's got to it's got to stop you. And I'm sure Swindon fans feel exactly the same way about Port Vale and, and Sheffield United fans feel exactly the same way about Nottingham Forest. Something that was that was wrong what happened on on Thursday night. It was predictable, it's preventable, and some of those images we've seen are just really upsetting. The, the young Palace players don't deserve to be treated like that. Um, uh, and we have another news story, Kieran, which during which I'll try and calm down, uh, and that's uh, Kylian Mbappe's change of mind about moving to Real Madrid could lead him to some trouble, couldn't it? Um, well, it, it's it's the hissiest of hissy fits. And first of all, let's, let's go back to, to what's happened during the course of the week. If you win a football match, if you avoid relegation, I'm too busy celebrating. You know, this this culture of goading and trying to provoke reactions from opponents is is just how well, go, go and celebrate for, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And, and you know, let, let, let the players of the opposition off the pitch. They're, they're professionals. The field of play is, is their place of work. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't I don't clamber on a, onto a stage after <laughs> after a gig and try and try to headbutt somebody because they didn't sing a song out of, yeah, in tune. Yeah, so not, not you know, <laughs> I, I, I just find it I find it bizarre. But this is part of you say it's it's dickheads day out. Uh, that there is there is now a belief of well what is accepted uh, anything goes especially especially if you've got a camera in your hand yeah. because then you can get and, and you know I, I saw what happened to Patrick Vieira. Uh, so somebody was trying to provoke a reaction so he could, go, he could film it, show it to his mates on Instagram and become a bit of a lad, bit of a hero. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, Patrick Vieira was perfectly entitled to react in the way that he did. Uh, it wasn't just Vieira, it was Anderson, it was Zaha, it was Benteke. Eze was was chased by a man wielding a flare. And there's not a security or a policeman in sight. And Eze's a, a, the nicest young 20-year-old yeah. kid you could imagine. Why does he have to be threatened like that with what at the moment appears to be no sanction whatever? But um, anyway, sorry, let's get back to the hissy fits. That sounds fun. I also like the idea of you clambering on stage at your age. <laughs> some, of the, some of the bands you see, Kieran, they would be really slow motion stage evasions. <laughs> All of you hopped up, hopped up on quavers and water. <laughs> The sisters of mercy panicking as he'll come zimmer framing down towards the stage. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so uh, on Saturday night, um, confirmation came through that uh, Kylian Mbappe, a, a a Parisian, a Frenchman, a French international football player, <laughs> had decided to play football in Paris, in France. <laughs> And, and this provokes a, a reaction of incredible fury. Um, and La Liga, which is responsible, which is the, the French, sorry, which is the Spanish uh, administrative body uh, you know, for the competition, uh, put out a full page uh, statement of absolutely righteous indignation, uh, saying this is absolutely outrageous. How, how, how dare Paris Saint-Germain match the offer from Real Madrid. <laughs> and, and I'm going, uh, hold, hold on. You know, um, and this is this, this incredible sense of entitlement that, uh, that, that you have um, within Spanish football, which, which is such a shame because you know, I, I've just come from, uh, I, I've come from a week working in Spain. Um, I, I've spent two days uh, filming at Real Betis and the people there are absolutely fantastic, and I went along to see them play last week. And it was, it, 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 it one of those you know, certain things. Sort of, God, I'm so proud to be a football fan. Uh-huh. So, so you've got individual clubs who who are are absolutely magnificent, and then you've got Real Madrid and Barcelona and Tebas 
who's head of La Liga, and and they they act with this incredible sense of entitlement. And if you go to uh, Marker, take a look at the the English version of Marker, which is the which is the Spanish. Um, which is the Spanish purely football newspaper. And and yes, they've got to get, you know, 30, 40 pages out each day. And yes, it is mainly to do with Barcelona and Real Madrid. But every single article is the same. You know, how on earth can Kylian Mbappe have any self-respect having to play against the, you know, the likes of you know, Lille or Lyon or you know, these other clubs? I go, well, you mean that if, if he came to Madrid and he was playing against Osasuna or, or Getafe or some of these clubs, he, he would he would therefore automatically feel, oh, yes, this is a much, much, much higher level. Um, so, yeah, it was it was an incredible uh, reaction from the the Spanish press, who are very much in the pockets of the big clubs. Yeah. Um, and, and that was also something which was really depressing to see on Thursday following the... Uh, following the Frankfurt Rangers match, because I, th- I think there was there's one incident where some some Frankfurt fans who were wearing balaclavas decided to uh, to, to go for the Eurovision Eurovision Luzzing contest <laughs> uh, in in respect of some chairs, uh, and some Rangers fans joined in. Uh, but yeah, with 150 thousand fans there, it, okay, okay, it, it it wasn't right, but it was not representative of 150 thousand fans. Yeah. I, all I saw was was people singing and getting sunburned, and and, and that was about it. Um, but Pete, yes, uh, Mbappe, who is at the end of his contract uh, next month, so therefore he's perfectly entitled to negotiate the best contract possible uh, for for his career, and he has done that. So he will have got a huge signing on fee, and I think this is one thing that we are seeing now uh, increasingly that at the elite level. Um, players are quite happy to run down their contracts in the knowledge that if you're going to be in a position, yeah, especially with Mbappe, yeah, he's a fan, yeah, absolutely magnificent player, he's only 23. So he's, he's got a huge number of years ahead uh, in terms of his career. You run down the contract until it expires, and therefore the buying club, which can either be your existing club or... Uh, a new club has has two choices. Uh, yet they can a sign you, or b they can go out into the market and and sign a a, a top class striker who's going to cost a yeah, hundred million plus in the transfer market. And you say, well, you give me that hundred million pounds, I'll stay or I'll go to you. Mm. So, and, and this is what we've seen um, in, in respect to his, his signing it on fee is is estimated to be somewhere in the region of a hundred to one hundred and fifty million. He's going to keep. A significant proportion of his image rights, potentially eighty to one hundred percent, and his salary is, and I quote, only forty million a year. How's he going to get? Um, how's he going to get by on that, Kieran? Exactly. But my view, good luck to the lad. Well, he's at the top of his profession. Yeah, I've, I mean, what this reflects, Kieran, in Spain, is the realization that whereas twenty years ago there were probably only one, maybe two clubs in Europe that could match the finances of Madrid and Barcelona. There are now seven or eight. That's the problem. Then they, they mm. now realise they're not top of the pecking order. But and before we move on, Kieran, uh, Luzzing? is that an old Suffolk, but, old Sussex word? What's, what's Luzzing? That's, that's that's what you do. That's what you do with chairs. You you lose them. Are you that's them, the official Luz. Yeah, L L U Z Z. Don't you dare! It's not Z Z top, is it? That's true. Well, no, it's not ZZ Top, but also they're they're not from South London, Kieran, as we are. So where we pronounce things, <laughs> pronounce things properly, we pronounce Z. We might drop our H's, but we pronounce our Z's uh, properly. And yes, uh, Everton fans listening, uh, I'm aware of the apparent hypocrisy that Kieran and I said it's only a few fans in the Frankfurt Rangers games. It's only a few of your fans, but still, it's got to be sorted. So let's get into the questions, Kieran. We have some very good questions uh, here. Now, first one comes from. Dan Jackerman. Uh, Dan says, my question is on the back of a recent discussion about the news involving Gareth Barry and Swindon Town. Uh, Kieran mentioned that FA rules prevent active players from investing in any clubs. So is the case of Hector Bellerin and his stake in Forest Green different in some way? I believe he's now the second largest shareholder in the club, which would surely break the FA rules Kieran mentioned. Yeah, I, I, I saw this article and read it as well. Um, so 
I, I went on to Companies House and downloaded something which is known as the confirmation statement in relation to Forest Green Rovers, yeah. and this listed out all 154 shareholders. Um, Hector Bellerin is not on the list, oh. um, which, which I find a bit strange. But uh, in terms of are you allowed to to buy shares, um, I, th- I think the rule is you're not allowed to have a significant minority stake or more. Now, that would be 10% or more of the shares of the club. And if we take a look at Forest Green Rovers, um, 96% of the shares are owned by the Green Britain Group, which, which I think is... Uh, which you know related to, to the owner, yeah. so so even uh, even if he had bought shares, he would have been below the ten percent threshold. Uh, you know, and and the, you know, there's there's lots of local people, and I think the Forest Green Rovers Supporters Club own some shares as well. And and I think that that's really useful because it means that the annual general meeting fans and other investors are allowed to to uh, you know to, just just to say yeah but we, can we do this can we do that um you know and you know we, we had dale um on the show and, and, and he was you know he's, he's a pretty open guy yeah. um so uh that's that's where he says so uh, yeah i i found it i found it weird that i i he, he might own shares but i can't i can't find evidence of that on the company records yeah first of all kieran when you say you went on to company's house that implies that you occasionally came off company's house <laughs> which, is, which we know is not the case kieran uh, it's, it's very in a way that some people have music on in the background you have the company's house website it's an interesting one from dan jackman because it was certainly reported mm. a, a while back that bellerin was ha- a, a, taking a stake into forest green rovers but it might be just that he's you know, he's publicly talked about the values that he shares with the club, those laudable values. He's a vegan and he, he's very much an environmental campaigner. So perhaps people in the press put two and two together. Um, but that's a good question from Dan. And we've got another very good question from Dan. It's a very interesting one. Uh, it's been a good week for Stockport County, a club I know that's close to your heart, Kieran. But Dan Jones says that Stockport County's FA Cup replay this season, I noticed that much of the advertising space was taken up by Vita, or Vita, you can tell me, Kieran, a company I believe to be controlled by Stockport's owner. With cases such as Newcastle, where profit is clearly not the main objective, I can see the logic of that strategy. But what would the aim of a smaller club such as Stockport doing this, as it appears to be bringing no extra external revenue into the club? Um, It's not bringing extra external revenue, but it is bringing revenue which would count towards financial fair play. Ah. Uh, and therefore, uh, and yeah, we, we've just been talking about Forest Green Rovers, and uh, yeah, Forest Green are—they they are sponsored by—is uh, it Eco Eco Ecotricity? Ecotricity, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so we and we've got Stoke City being sponsored by Bet Three Six Five, and we've got Manchester City being sponsored by the Etihad, and you know, and you know, there are there are many examples of. Um, what's referred to as related party transactions. Uh, Roman Abramovich used to have uh, a, a seat at Chelsea for which he paid a million pounds a year. So, yeah. so you know, this type of thing uh, is common. Uh, Stockport have been uh, acquired by a guy called Mark Stott, um, and uh, you know that they have been promoted. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. You know, I, I, I lived for a long time in, in Stockport. My kids went to school in Stockport. Um, but uh, you know, last season they, they lost 50k a week. Yeah, you know, and th- and that's the price of of getting out of the national league. It is uh, it is very high. Um, and uh, Stockport County do owe uh, one of Mark Stott's companies 2.6 million pounds on the back of that. But if it's yeah, if if it's an interest free loan, which which I suspect it is, mm. um, then you know it's it's just a way of funding the club. Um, so th- there could be some potential tax benefits to the to the company paying for the advertising. Uh, and as Stockport are a club that are losing money, they don't pay any tax anyway. So therefore, the club which is paying the tax, if they can claim that as a legitimate expense. And yeah, you know, that, that that potentially is the case. You know, that would be down to their negotiations with HMRC. That would reduce their profits and therefore reduce their taxation. So you know, it's you know, uh, for, for all accountants, as, as I've said on more than one occasion, our favourite three-letter word ending in X is tax, <laughs> and and that's how we roll. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Bet Three Six Five there, Kieran, the very wealthy owners of Stoke City. I imagine they will be keeping an eye on our very first story because I'm guessing that they will be thinking to themselves, if if the authorities 
are going to let Everton away with flouting FFP regulations in such an uh, obvious way, then we might as well start spending the money we have on getting Stoke back into the Premier League. Well, well, they have just gone and bought uh, the stadium. Yes. Uh, and, and they did that the uh, by pure coincidence uh, about a week before the rules changed, which uh, which uh, then prevented your you taking profits from stadium sales into the accounts huh. for FFP purposes. What a coincidence! So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, the world the world of football finance is full of such coincidences. Well, as indeed are Charles Dickens' books, but Charles Dickens lived his life on coincidence. He he said, it, <laughs> Charles Dickens said, "It's a small world; uh, things are bound to happen." Uh, there you go. You learn a lot on this pod, don't you? Um, Matty Hall has a question. And Matty Hall says, as you've discussed on the pod, many teams in Leagues 1 and 2 get two sets of home and away kits per season per team. If in the January transfer window a club buys a large number of new players, as they sometimes do and under new management, do they then pay extra to the kit supplier for extra kits? Especially now players have names and numbers printed on the back. It's, it's what brilliant question. It's a great question, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, I, I I contacted our very good friend Andy Holt about this, and he says, whilst we say it, but yeah, it's it's broadly two two sets of home shirts, uh, you know, two home and away. They they're quite generous in terms of the size of the squad. So so there tends to be a few blank shirts, and of course you can always go, you always pop into the club shop um, <laughs> and say, uh, "We've just signed, we've, we've just signed a left back on loan. Uh, can, can you knock one up with you know forty two and Jones on the back of it?" Um, so uh, in theory, uh, if if they have used all of their their shirts, then they might have to apply for the club to to, to the manufacturer. But I suspect they'll get a, a sympathetic response. Um, we are hoping to to get a a, a a shirt manufacturer that makes shirts for uh, some you know, some quite well known clubs uh, onto the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we, have, we actually contacted them by them last week, uh, and and they said they I think they're fans of the show. Uh, so so uh, we we might if if we we can get the date confirmed, uh, we might uh, have a ask ask the shirt manufacturer uh, <laughs> a special edition in in terms of the question show. Do you know what, Kieran? We've had a couple of specials where it's ask the boss of Scottish football or ask an agent. I suspect we would get a lot more questions about shirts yes. than we did about Scottish football or agents. It's, it's also it's a very pleasing image of somebody signing for Accrington and going, where's the uh, where's the chairman gone? He's just pop around a club shop, get your shirt. Uh, right. and, uh, well, when I was in uh, Betis... Um, I, I popped down to the club, yeah, because they, they got a club shot there, so therefore I'm going to be in there. <laughs> um, and um, I, I, I bought a shirt, and uh, it's it's made. Their shirts are made by Kappa, uh-huh. and the trouble is uh-huh. with Kappa, they're, they're designed for the Italian or the Latino physique. Um, and even though I got double XL, <laughs> it's fair to say it's somewhat bulging. So, uh, yeah. so uh, bear I, that in mind if ever you're buying a Kappa team. I, I don't think they'd get many of your body type in the Real Betis club shop, no. Kira, <laughs> which I, I imagine stays open till uh, about 11 o'clock at night, does it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just to get those people who are coming out for lunch. Um, <laughs> Sweaty sack summer is approaching and it's time for you to prioritise the comfort of your crotch. That's why the kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there, which are so breathable, they're like gills for your groin. We think it's time you invest in your family jewels. So let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping by using the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. We already know that the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best electric trimmer for below the waist grooming. It gets rid of those Rhodes Boysons that you might have down there. But outside of ball trimming, Manscapes are now focusing their efforts on helping out your thigh slappers in other ways with their game changing boxers. They feature the jewel pouch, which is designed to cradle your boys in their own special space and it is lined with perforated performance fabric to keep them well ventilated. Basically, just imagine your balls sipping pina coladas, chilling on a hammock on some tropical beach. 
So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL, all in big letters, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. Once the boxers 2.0 touch your sack, you'll never go back. And unfortunately, Kieran, they are fire slappers these days, but it's due to gravity. <laughs> ah, mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Talking of Accrington, we, we, we've actually produced a guy found three more questions down the back of his gold sofa that we didn't get through at the live show, but they're, they're good questions and... Uh, one of them in particular relates to something you've spoken about already. The first one comes from Chris Vose. Uh, Chris says, how many times do clubs like Norwich, Fulham, Watford, West Brom, etc., need to get promoted and relegated before parachute payments are considered a reward for failure? Yeah, I, I absolutely understand where Chris is coming from. Um, parachute payments are part of the distribution of monies within the Premier League and the Championship. And frankly, the distribution model does not work. Um, what we have is uh, clubs are potentially getting too much money in the Championship, but not enough money when they get to the Premier League and then they end up getting relegated. So um, should this be uh, should this be addressed? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but uh, the, the reason why this is getting worse and worse is, yeah, I know I've said this before. Uh, it's all Leicester City's fault yeah, by yeah. by winning the Premier League in 2016, wh- which was one thing, but and therefore, more importantly, taking away one of the Champions League spots for the following season from the greedy six who think that those places are theirs and theirs alone. And let's be honest, over the course of the last 10 years, with the exception of Leicester, they have been theirs and theirs alone. So what happened is the the greedy six um, went to the rest of the Premier League and they said, we want more of the TV money. So which means that it does make it more, if there's more money going to them, there's less money for the other 14, including those clubs which have just been promoted. So uh, it, it's part of an overall issue that uh, the, the the big six clubs get too much money compared to the other 14, who in turn get too much money compared to the clubs in the championship. In my view, it needs a the whole thing needs addressing uh, in an analytical and rational way. But until until football sets its objectives. And every time I talk to people, they say, yes, yes, I agree with you. Distribution needs to be addressed. And, and you actually then drill down. What they mean is my club keeps the same or more money, but somebody else gets less. And I've, 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 I've yet to find anybody who has, has come up with a system uh, which, which genuinely narrows the gaps both within and between divisions. Um, if if we if we reduce the gap between the Premier League and the Championship, you increase the gap between the Championship and League One. So we've also got yo-yo clubs uh, in in that position. You know, you know Rotherham, Barnsley, you know, Wickham almost made it up. Um, you know, and so on. Uh, so, so it it yeah, I, I think it it needs addressing. Perhaps you know a a neutral, unbiased, independent regulator would help. <laughs> Uh, yes, commiserations to Wickham fans yesterday, but uh, congratulations to Sunderland fans who are finally back in the championship, which is good news financially for match day income for the other clubs in the championship because they will be taking thousands to away games. We had a uh, a little knot, Kieran, of Blackpool fans uh, at the show in Accrington. They will be delighted to hear that I'm wearing a rather fetching tangerine T-shirt just as we speak. Uh Actually, it's orange, Kieran, because of my family background. I have to call it tangerine. Otherwise, I'll get, ang- <laughs> I'll get angry tweets from cousins in Glasgow. Um, but one of the Blackpool fans is Ant, 
And Ant's question is, I recently saw in Blackpool's accounts that we've lost around £41 million over the last five years. Is the club still paying off Valerie Bellicon or is Oyston? Um, right. It, uh, it is uh, it is Oyston. Um, j- jailbird. Um, yes. I'll describe a mess. I've, I've been asked to to yes. tone down <laughs> your uh, description. Yes, my my normal description of him. So I'll just describe him as a, a yeah, former jailbird. Um, so Blackpool have lost a lot of money, um, but uh, the reason for that is that, that wages have been one hundred and twenty one percent of income over the last five years. Now, for part of that period, um, Blackpool fans were. Uh, running their not a penny more yes. campaign, which meant that uh, revenues from match day sales were was were, were reduced, um, and where they tried to put financial pressure onto the the Oyston family to try to encourage them to sell the club, and and that has now finally paid off. And then in 2021, when I think they yeah when the sale had gone through, they they would have returned in numbers. But we had COVID, um, so I would I would expect that situation to substantially improve for twenty one twenty two, um, as as the fans now are there, and also we are starting to see um, from uh, Manchester United fans. You know, they they are also thinking. You know, I, I was uh, on a show last week, and somebody said to me, "Well, you know, what happens if?" 10,000 Manchester United season ticket holders all cancel their season ticket for next season. Um, you know, will, that, will, will that have an impact? And um, under normal circumstances, yeah, it would have an impact. Um, the downside is that yeah, the Glazers would, would be laughing their trolleys off yeah. uh, if it did happen because 10,000 fewer season ticket holders means 10,000 extra tourists yeah. who will pay A, more for the tickets and, and B, you know, the, the lines around the, the megastore. So, um, I, I think Manchester United fans possibly need a slightly different strategy if, if they if they want to uh, continue to want to put pressure onto the Oysters, so on, onto the Glazers. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of non-violent direct action yeah. um, by by people to to get messages across. It certainly uh, eventually worked, uh, you know, in, in some of the other campaigns that we've seen. So, with regards to the outstanding money which is due by. Oyster and Tabellicon, that is a private matter um, and uh, that will not go through the accounts of the club. Kieran, it's bad enough that you were saying Z for Z earlier. Now you're saying line instead of Q around the shop. This, is, this has got to stop. Can you just remind uh, non-Blackpool fans briefly who Valerie Bellicon is and why Oyston is paying him money? Yeah, uh, Valerie Bellicon uh, was, uh, was a minority shareholder in, uh, in Blackpool Football Club. And uh, when Blackpool were promoted to the Premier League, a fantastic achievement. Yeah. And a uh, guy who was your manager, I've forgotten his name. Holloway. Holloway, yeah, Ian yeah. Holloway, yeah. who, who I've, I've met and uh, he, he, he is, he, he's a very funny guy. Um, uh, less, less, less so when I met him, but it's probably right, okay. partially my fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, what happened was that uh, I think Bellacom was expecting a, a share of, of the proceeds, um, but uh, Oyston made it very difficult, and uh, I think think the Oystons also took out eleven million pounds in directors' pay in the season in which the uh, the club was in the Premier League, which which legally they are entitled to do, uh, but uh, it, it resulted in in a dispute. Uh, from Mr. Bellicon, of which he was subsequently proven to be successful, mm. and therefore he was due compensation from from Oyston, uh, and and that has been dragging on. And there's been various claims made by Oyston that, uh, that the club was sold at too low a price, and and so on. But I don't think he's got very far with that. Yeah, George Cahill was also at the live show at Accrington, and George has a question that relates to something you were talking about earlier. Uh, George says, couldn't UEFA make more money selling the corporate Champions League final tickets directly to real fans when so many of them are now on sale for thousands of pounds? Or are the corporate relationships more important than the actual income? Yeah, yeah, fair, fair comment, George. Well, if you take a look at um, UEFA's accounts, and there's no better way to spend a Sunday morning. <laughs> I, I, I would wager, uh, because that's what I have been doing. It it, it may be a, a cloudless sky outside, but uh, that doesn't stop me going through. 
Um, Kira, can I point out that whatever the Baroness is doing at the moment is a better way of spending Sunday morning than going through <laughs> the accounts of various. <laughs> yeah, she's she, she's grouting the chi- the kitchen. That's uh, that's my point entirely. That's still a better way <laughs> of spending Sunday morning than going through accounts. <laughs> um. So if, if we go into UEFA's accounts, uh, it generated 992 million euro from, uh, from sponsorship and corporate arrangements. And, and that involved, uh, you know, ultimately giving some of the tickets to the, uh, to, to the corporate sponsors. It only made 234 million euro from the sale of tickets themselves. In fact, what I was, I was quite surprised to find out that uh, only 4% of uh, UEFA's income Comes from ticket sales oh. uh, because they are they are very much uh, focused on on the the sponsorship sector and the the TV sector. The, the TV brings in three quarters of UEFA's income. So if they had sold the the corporate tickets for more, then the the, the sponsors I suspect would have paid less for the rights because one of the reasons okay. why the yeah. why the sponsors like to pay is is that uh, you know they get the benefits of of rocking up to the final. Um, but I, I suspect they were given some bottles of water um, mm. uh, yes. in, in the in the incredible heat of uh, Sevilla. Well, I imagine where they were, it was probably air conditioned, Kieran. I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, ben Foxcroft has a question, which again, uh, by a coincidence, Kieran, it's amazing how it happens. As we said, uh, as about something you've already mentioned, and Ben's question, uh, a very interesting one, it says following on from discussions about ways of circumventing FFP rules. Why can't owners pay players a small wage, but then compensate for this by making a private purchase from said player, which is overinflated, i.e. buy a random painting for £5 million, which then makes up for the small salary and doesn't count as a club player interaction? Um, y- yes, I, I think this, uh, th- this is possible. The danger is... Um, that the player would have to show the profit on the transaction uh, in their personal tax return, uh, which which should which should of course remain private. Th- things have a habit of leaking, though. Yeah, and uh, and this is what we could. So, if if we take a look at what's happened in rugby with Saracens Rugby Club, um, what happened there is that in order to try to circumvent the equivalent of financial fair play in in rugby, which was a wage cap. Um, There was an arrangement between the club and uh, a few of the players that they that they shared properties, yeah, um, and therefore you know the rental income and the capital gains on those ended up going to the players, and that was purely done to to try to to you know to, to circumvent. And Saracens ended up being uh, you know get, getting some pretty stiff penalties uh, as a result of that. So it's it's a risk if you are going to do that. Um, I'm aware of um, some players who um, have, uh, I don't know whether you ever watched The the Sopranos, but Tony Soprano and, and the, uh, uh, his, his fellow friends from the Bada Bing, um, they used to have uh, no-show jobs on construction sites. They would go in and they would collect a wage and they would just sit around you know, playing cards and, uh, and drinking wine together. Um, so I'm, I'm aware of, of some players at, at the lower levels of football, and this is, this is below... Uh, below EFL, but yeah, we're not 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 very far below. Yeah. Who um, are who have a wage from their club, and then they also have a inverted commas job from yeah. another company owned by the club owner. This this could be done. Uh, you know, we we had somebody. You know, we we could arrange this. That uh, yeah, very very similar to what Ben's just said. You know, why don't the players, instead of a painting or a drawing by the player, because the player might not be an artist, um, why doesn't the player endorse a range of NFTs, huh. uh, which yeah. which the club owner then buys at very very high rates at an auction? Yeah, could work. Could work. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that um that notion of having players. Uh, in jobs as well as playing football was a fairly standard practice in the first part of the 20th century, wasn't it? They mm. would, they would be given mm. uh, jobs in inverted commas. Well, I went to see uh, Walter Sickert exhibition at the Tate Gallery on uh, on Wednesday. It's very good. Oh, anybody, cool. anybody who's in the London area, I would recommend it. So you get Dickens, Sickert, you get all sorts of stuff on this thing. Um, somebody who has visited the London area recently is Simon Todd. 
Uh, Simon Todd has a, a very good question, uh, a somewhat flowery way of asking it, but I like that nevertheless. Simon says, myself and my roommate visited the big city this season to watch Fulham versus Barnsley. Unfortunately, the Super Reds did not come away victorious, but we had a great time nevertheless. While we were sampling the capital's finest ales, we were tickling each other's chins with thought-provoking <laughs> questions. <laughs> very Alan Partridge way of putting things, isn't it? We're tickling each other's chins. With, oh, no. uh, but we were stumped with the economics of an away day. More specifically, what are the financial implications or benefits for the away team? Does the away team get a slice of the away tickets, maybe a cut of the purchases made in the away stand? And how much would an away day cost a team in the championship, for example, travel and accommodation? Right. Um, yeah. If, if you if, an away fixture is is not great for mm. for most clubs. Um, first of all, un, under the way that the system works is that if if let's say that you're an away team and you're going to Club X and you're given uh, you know it, it's 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 the lower of three thousand or ten percent of of the capacity of the ground so so if if you could perhaps have two thousand tickets if you say we want two thousand tickets and you only sell fifteen hundred then you've got to stump up for the other five hundred yourself so so that's a risk um you do get a commission i don't think it's a very big commission but you do get a commission for selling the away tickets so you you effectively just about cover your costs unless you fail to sell all the tickets you originally ordered um, so, so that's that's not particularly lucrative. And then, when it comes to the travel costs, um, I've, I've spoken to to a couple of people uh, in the industry, and they would say, if, if, certainly at Premier League level, if if you're not flying, you're probably talking fifteen grand plus ten k for a hotel. Right. And the reason for that is that uh, you know you're, you're going to have one of the top range of coaches. Uh, if, if you are flying, and, and we've had this discussion about sustainability in yeah. football, and uh, you know why are so many clubs choosing to fly because of you know, convenience, you know, speed, and so on? Uh, realistically, to charter a flight, um, you are looking at uh, thirty thousand pounds if you're if you're going from. Yeah, you know, the distance isn't actually the issue. It's, it's actually you know, chartering the flight because you've, you've then got the pilot sitting on the runway, or or you know, whilst you're playing football, you know, the pilot's still got to go and wait for the turnaround and so on. Um, if if you if you're going by coach, a team bus is normally two and a half thousand pounds, uh, and if you're going anywhere, you know, a long distance, you might be taking two days. You might be using that for two days. So so the costs. Uh, are quite high, and remember, during COVID, many clubs were using two or three yes, coaches yes, yes. Uh, because of social distancing. So it it, it is a very expensive uh, activity, uh, and yet the higher up the food chain you go, that the more expensive it becomes. Yeah. Our final question, Kieran, comes from Tommy Bailey. Uh, Tommy says, during the game this season between Liverpool and Atletico in Madrid, I enjoyed one of Anfield's exclusive Scouse pies. It reminded me of Kieran's love for Brighton's guest pies and got me wondering whether clubs have free reign on matchday grub. In this modern world, are there any guidelines or restrictions in the top tiers regarding veggie, vegan or gluten-free options? Uh, no, I, I think it is actually made the decisions that tend to be made by the caterers. Yeah. You know, there, there will be discussions between the club. They, it, it's in the interests of both the football club and the catering company to have a a broad range of products which appeal to as many as people as possible because you want to maximise your sales revenue. Um, I, I know that today, uh, we we're recording this on the Sunday, uh, Brighton do have a guest vegan pie, uh, a Balti vegan pie uh, for the match at West Ham. Um, as well as as well as the regular chicken balti, oh, which right. is a thing of beauty. Yes. Um, but uh, the, the 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 intricacies tend to be left to to the caterers because what the football clubs say we're football clubs. You know, we, we you know we we'll put this out to tender. Uh, we'll take we'll take the offer which we think is best in terms of you know, range and price and, and revenue for the club, but doesn't tend to get involved in in individual sort of granular decisions. Uh, but I think I think again it'd be, it'd be good to get a, a caterer uh, onto the show to to get the news on pies 
uh, because it, it's a subject which is close to my heart. It, it, it would be that would be interesting, actually. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm guessing that Brighton is probably the only ground in the country that will sell out of vegan pies. Uh, it's the only, so I suggest if you're in Brighton and you fancy a, a free chicken balti pie, go along after the game. There'll be loads of them stacked up outside. Whereas there'll be no vegan pies left at all. Thank you to everybody who has donated to the pod via our Patreon page. It's very kind of you. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to our always free-to-air podcast, then go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I hope everybody enjoyed the last day of the Premier League yesterday. Uh, Well done to Burnley and or Leeds. Commiserations to Burnley and or Leeds. And in the meantime... I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Uh, well, as always, folks, thanks very much for your support from all the different ways. Um, I've I've sorted out the winner for the uh, Aha tickets, um, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm absolutely delighted. I'm absolutely delighted that one of the people who who wrote in uh, in respect of of the competition, and the question was in Aha's most famous song. The sun always shines on yeah. blank, and they've got the answer wrong. Ha! Which, which for me, <laughs> I think is. I'm going to send them a copy of my book purely, purely because I love them so much. But for me, okay. wow! Uh, and for those of you that, that that are wondering, well, what is the right answer? It's the sun always shines on TV. I, I, um, I'm wondering what the wrong answer was, Kieran. <laughs> yes. Um, so. Uh, Yes, so so thanks for all you Patreon supporters, uh, and and I hope uh, the winner uh, really enjoys the gig on Friday night. Um, if you if you want to support the show in another way, get 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 onto that uh, that podcast app of yours, and and if you can give us a review, you can give us five stars. It helps us in the charts. Myself and Guy and Kevin, uh, we we don't really understand why, but Guy keeps reminding us that it 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 helps uh, helps the algorithms. Um, and and it doesn't matter what you say. You you could say you'd rather have the show presented by by Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> and and Jeremy Corbyn, and I think that'd be quite quite an interesting meeting of minds. And I'd probably listen to the show myself. Uh, but apart from that, uh, have a wonderful time. Um, I, I'm going along with my autograph book on Tuesday night. I've, I've been asked. I've been invited to the the League Managers Association annual dinner, which I'm extremely excited about. Um, uh, and uh, I, I will uh, I will see Kevin beforehand with a bit of luck. Yes, I'm going to pop up and say hello and then press my nose wistfully against the window of the posh restaurant in which the League Manners Association do is going on. Um, Billy Corgan, Smashing Pump, that's arguably one of my favourite lines in the whole of comedy, certainly in The Simpsons, when Homer gets invited to see them and meets them backstage and is introduced and Billy Corgan says, Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins, and replies, Homer Simpson, smiling politely which is uh, a lovely joke. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everybody. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm for the